you know, lay out of the land to make it regional flood. Maybe that is how it worked. I don't know, but it's just, I don't know. I think it, it can downplay the miraculousness of the miracle. I guess what I'm getting at. Welcome to the Pondercast, where we think deeply about the Bible and theology. Let's get pondering. Hello and welcome back to the Pondercast. As usual, it's Perry and Drew with you. It's good to be back with you. It's been far too long since we've been talking to these microphones with you, our wonderful audience. So welcome back. Thank you for being patient with us during this long hiatus. I guess we'll see how patient people are if they didn't give up on us. Tune in again. Yeah. yeah, if they tune in again, they've been patient. If not, then we're uh, we're gonna have, we're gonna have to really scrap for for listeners again. We'll have to go back out there and lure people back in. I guess. Yeah, make a new batch of mugs. Yeah, there we'll you love go. Mugs. That's a good idea. <laughs> or t-shirts or something. T-shirts. That's not a bad idea. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyways, we're back with some hopefully new ideas of thinking differently expanding our theological horizon checking out different avenues of things i don't know if is our slogan still think differently i don't think so isn't it thinking deeply thinking deeply about things (laughs) which thinking differently is encompassed in that i believe Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm, mm -hmm. go ahead we have some uh uh fun topics lined up for the next little bit so i'm looking forward to recording those and sharing those with our audience yeah, I don't know how fun this one is. It's more interesting in my opinion, but <laughs> yeah, but uh, we'll yeah. see. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, I think it's just interesting because you and I both kind of, I say, don't care, but uh, no, these kind of topics with flood related or creation related, they're I think they're always interesting because they kind of, mm-hmm. I don't know, every side's so passionate about it, or you have people on every side that are very passionate about it. So kind of sitting in the middle ground. Or given the not popular opinion, always tweaks people the wrong way. <laughs> so I don't know why. Yes. Maybe I just like chaos. I kind of like that, you know. Ooh, that people. goes with Genesis. That's that goes well with our topic of the Noah's flood. Talking about the chaos breaking into the order. But anyways, yes. So that's what we want to talk about today specifically. Does geology support? a worldwide flood and uh Stephen o Moshi says no uh that's uh what we want to talk about today based on that article that essay it's included in a book written by two old testament scholars john walton and tremper longman where they go through more of the history and the theology uh they compare some of the i, I haven't been able to really look into it i wanted to do a little bit of skimming this afternoon i didn't have the time because I was trying to get through this article and really understand it, but they they compare this to other ancient Near East, other contemporary, uh, uh, similar uh, stories, because there's all sorts of flood stories in the ancient Near mm-hmm. East. And, uh, and I mean, that's a totally different conversation. I believe that uh, this, is a, this is an authentic piece of history um, written in a ancient near eastern way and i'm by no means have a deep 
understanding of all that, but uh, just trying to recognize that. And so as we get into a conversation like this, I just thought it, it might be good to say that uh, I I didn't want to have this conversation to try and be offensive to people, to try and <laughs> trigger or well, that's why I'm here. have a stumbling block. But <laughs> I think it's just a interesting conversation that's worth having because uh, I think that it's good to be aware of what's going on in science and the conversations that people are having with Christians that the Christian scientists are having in regards to some of these uh, more tricky uh, subjects. We used to like that word tricky, but anyways, um, so I'm not blindly going to accept the conclusions of one article. And I uh, just wanted to say that this is not about uh, questioning the validity of the Bible because that's what a lot of people do. I think, I think that's, that's what has been done since the enlightenment, since the uh, 17th, 16th century, 16th, 17th century. That's what science has been trying to do is disprove the Bible and therefore disprove the God of the Bible. And, uh, and this right. article is not doing that whatsoever. Uh, I think, he's just, I think if, sorry, I'll wait till you finish. Well, he's just trying to enter into a, this discussion he, it's an academic thing. It, this is what academics is all about. Is this is what people have proposed, and this is what he's de- and, and so he's countering with other evidence, and uh, and that's just that's just how it goes. We're not we don't want to question people's motives here necessarily uh, when it comes to some of the. I mean, yeah, maybe there's something to that, but also what are the, what are the arguments being made, and how is the evidence backing up the argument? That's that's always been my mission with this. And just for the sake of clarity, I want to put that out there. Just wanted to say that. Right. I think just in addition to that, before we get into a bit of what the article's about, um, actually, maybe this is where we should start at the end of his article. He start he ends his article <laughs> by saying, the biblical narrative does not require a worldwide flood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that necessitates then the people on the earth would have to been in one location because everyone was wiped out noah his family aside right so that's what he says here i don't i think he's right on that i don't think the biblical narrative necessitates a worldwide flood i don't know the people were wiped off the earth but that doesn't necessarily mean it was worldwide or else it was the known world at the time so when they say water covered the world it was the known world where where people Mm -hmm. were right that was that's the known world everywhere else isn't known world right so Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. uh I just thought it was interesting. That's kind of how he ends mm-hmm. his his thing, just by bringing it back to the biblical narrative, and saying we maybe we we infer that into the text. But anyways, we can get into that later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so just to say one more thing is that uh, scientism is a is a worldview. It's a philosophy in which this author does not adhere to. So scientism is like the view that science can explain everything about the world. And, uh, and so he's not doing that. He's not trying to use science to disprove. He's, uh, I wouldn't say that he's trying to make a, he's not trying to do anything to make the Bible look good. Really. He's just trying to uh, work with the evidence. 
and say, um, this is what I see and it doesn't contradict what's going on and that's okay. So his main question is if the Genesis flood covered the entire earth so that every landform was submerged, shouldn't there be significant, significant evidence of erosion and deposition? Because that's what uh, worldwide flood opponents advocate that there's worldwide evidence of a uh, worldwide flood, such as uh, lots of erosion, like the Grand Canyon uh, was created because of the flood and the, the fossils, like the dinosaurs were wiped out because of the flood. And um, so what stood out to you in this article? Why well, just pitched that one over to me on the blanket. Um, <laughs> so I guess for me that the interesting point is where he tries to kind of figure out, okay, so what, what happened like pre flood earth? Mm-hmm. Um, like when, before, when the earth was void, right. It was, there was water covering the earth. Right. And then land was brought out of the earth. Like we're going back to creation. Here's what we're doing. Um, and at one point in this narrative, he talks about the idea of, well, how do we know what was like, what was pre-flood and what was post-flood? Mm-hmm. Can we actually know that for sure? Can we know what was actually pre-flood? Like just putting it out there, like was the Grand Canyon not created when the earth was brought made, like when it was produced by God in, in Genesis one. Um, so I think, I don't know. And I, th- I think that's interesting personally. I, I think we don't know the landscape in which God actually created. Surely he created mountains when he created, or maybe he didn't. I don't know. I shouldn't say surely. <laughs> um, yeah, who knows? Maybe tectonic plates did just shift over billions of years and mountains are made. I don't know. Right. Like I'm just saying, thinking out loud here, but that's one point he says in, in halfway about, about halfway through this, this, uh, this essay, he mentions how, how, different was pre-flood earth than after flood earth and that's something we don't really know um but then he brings it back to instead of putting it on the miraculousness of god we're saying the flood did it which is like mm-hmm. who say it couldn't have been and so i think that's really interesting in mm-hmm. in some aspects of we we do we give credit to flood that credit for what actually god created in beauty because mm-hmm. you if you like the grand canyon is just a good a great example of it right the grand canyon we say the flood made it well maybe god just thought this is going to be a beautiful thing for man to enjoy when they get over here like i don't know right like it's an interesting thought and he brings that up to kind of i mean that's not his key point that was just one of my favorite points because i often think we we i don't know underestimate god sometimes and what he is capable of <laughs> well, i think we do right like yeah i don't know i like a good example is creation has to be seven days. Oh, really? Okay. Anyways, we don't have to get into that. But. Right. I think what you're saying is that, uh, or what he is arguing is that there would be more evidence to find out that this is what happened before the flood, the flood happened. And there'd be yeah. evidence to show that there's in the rock formation. That's, that's what he's getting at here with the ge- geology. 
I kind of had to, I kind of just clued into that. Oh yeah. Geology is just about rocks and, uh, um, we're not geologists. Oh obviously. yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry about that, dear listeners. But anyways, uh, that there would be evidence to show what it was like before. And then, uh, and then you would see drastic changes after. And, and so, uh, you know, I mean, I have nothing to base this on. I'm not making any conclusions here about whether I agree with him or not, but I find it fascinating that, uh, for instance, the, there's no way in modern history to try and make sense of something like the flood, like a worldwide flood. And they're talking about the tsunamis in recent years, like in Japan. And I think maybe Haiti where they were able to calculate how fast the water was going and what it was doing because the big, uh, the big thing with the worldwide flood idea is that there's so much water that it's moving all this sediment, all this rock. And it would have to be moving really quickly. According to his calculations, it had to be moving really quickly, lots of water because he said uh, there'd have to be, well, how many, how long was the flood? (laughs) I would forget 40 that. days. Well, it ranged for 40 days, 40 oh, nights, yeah. but it was okay. Yeah, yeah. So, more, it was longer than that, but yeah. Because he said uh it would take a like hundred and yeah, some year or a hundred some days for you'd have to have so much water, like a hundred feet of water every day, uh to to reach the top of the mountain. And he said actually you would need like thousands of feet of water to move as much sediment as it as is proposed uh, yeah that there is around 4, 4,000 feet of sediment uh, average rate of 27 feet per day would have to be deposited in the grand canyon to make it in the 150 days that it has mm-hmm. and it, I, for our listeners i know that's just a mumble jumble of <laughs> lettered numbers but it, if you think like, like i said this we imperial both things article is kind of confusing to read but once you actually read it and look into it it's like oh he makes he makes a pretty good point mm-hmm. on the, the 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 science of it. That being said, you kind of have to just trust the science because we because like, you I mean, think you have to kind of trust what he's saying. Yeah, I mean the the thing uh, I think some of the things that he's trying to say is that what what worldwide flood proponents are advocating is that most everything in geology is accounted for by the flood. And uh, and obviously I'm generalizing here, but what he's saying is that the world is so big and that would need, require a lot of water <laughs> to change the entire makeup of the world. And as I said before, there's, they don't, they, it's hard to find what was before. Because, and I think he's operating off the assumption that the world is billions of years old because they're, they're talking about how... Right. Uh, it like millions of years of buildup and all that. And you can see that in the, so that's part of the argument. And, uh, and so the world is just so big. It would require a lot of water to do that. And, and so he's saying that they found sand where they have found, you know, sand under the, under the rock with uh feet print, uh, animal feet print, uh, I can't think of the word. Yeah, fossilized. fossilized. Petrified. Yeah. Petrified? Yeah. Is that the word? Fossilized. Oh, Petrified yeah. is, I think, when it comes to like poop. So anyways, uh, 
I honestly think so. <laughs> Didn't think we'd be having a conversation like this. But no. anyways, um, there you go. so the what he's saying there is that uh, that there's just not enough. How is there so much water pushing that much sand that then it's able to fossilize footprints and then bring in all that sediment? So there is maybe something to question that as a part of that event anyways or that that uh geological formation that rock formation maybe it didn't happen because of a worldwide flood is a conclusion that could be made from that like not everything right is uh and uh so i mean the grand canyon's pretty big and wow here so- so Thanks what I'm, that, Perry. yeah, yeah. Thanks you're for welcome. telling us that one. You're welcome. You're welcome. So I won't finish my thought because I'll just leave it there. Boom. Okay. But so I mean, I wish I wish I knew more about rock formation because I feel like that that's what the circle really hits on. Like he, like he makes the point mm-hmm. of, um, like rock formations and how they were layered wouldn't like all the clay or all the soil on the earth at any moment couldn't provide enough clay for mm. all the rocks in the sedimentary layers. And so like that, he's basically saying that the layers that are made in sedimentary, there actually isn't enough soil to, to provide enough clay for the rocks to settle in the sedimentary layers. I think that's what he's saying. And so I don't know. I don't remember much from my grade eight science class or anything for that matter. Um, and we're probably not doing this, this, uh, this article justice. Oh no! I saying. feel sorry now for forever bringing it up. Yeah, <laughs> I don't because I think I think we're nothing for making them think about uh, the science behind the worldwide flood. But mm-hmm. I think I think it's really interesting reading some of this stuff because it. Uh, well, first of all, it makes you think differently about the flood. And it also makes you challenge what you're always taught. Because I think, I, don't, I grew up thinking it was a worldwide flood. I'm assuming you did. Mm-hmm. And even just thinking about science in a, a way in which it's okay to think about science. Um, because I feel like we always pin science and religion against each other, which is what Christians do. Because when it comes to science, Christians are usually ignorant. That's just how well that is how we go right? we just kind of push it off and say no we're not going to even think about that but um this article i think makes a good christian perspective in which someone can believe that the world the flood was not necessarily a worldwide flood right i, I guess the point is does it matter if it was a worldwide flood or not actually right because i think what's going on in the narrative is that uh there's a lot of corruption going on because it talks about uh, these Nephilim and their, there's this wickedness. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and uh, every that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And so there's this recreation going on here. And uh, so I guess you could argue if if you don't want to argue for a worldwide flood, and I'm not saying that I am, I'm just considering how to make the argument. You could say, well, it's these folk 
these Nephilim folk possibly in that re in that particular region that are being judged, being wiped out. But then the question is, why are the Nephilim only going there? Uh, it's the whole world. Maybe there are other people around the world. So here's a good question. Maybe this might be another Pondercast episode. If the Nephilim died in the flood, how come there's reference to them later? The Rephaim or the Nephilim oh. in later texts. Hmm. Interesting. A good example is like uh, Goliath is referenced as the Nephilim or Rephaim. There's another kind of loose translation. Really? Yeah, the Rephaim. Really? I can't remember. He's a giant. No, but it's something to do with the syntax, I think. Syntax is the right word? Like the linguistic connection between the words oh, uh, yeah. Nephilim and Rephaim. Yeah. And, the, and okay. they can be used interchangeable. Anyways, they are referenced later on in the Bible. I think in uh, Joshua, I think they're referenced as well. Like mm. in the conquest, I think they're referenced there. Oh, wow. And then also mm. in Kings, I believe they're referenced quite a bit. So that might be a good episode for there. Sorry, it's a little bit off tangent, but when you said the, the Nephilim, I kind of thought but they are, they are alluded to, if not referenced to later in different aspects. So how did they survive the flood? That'd be a good question. Well, this was a topic suggested to us a few months ago, so it might be worth uh, coming back to. We'll have to read the rest of this book. The but last if it wasn't a world, if it wasn't a worldwide flood, maybe it, the Nephilim survived. Yeah, maybe they just swam. <laughs> maybe they just got to the top of the mountain and stood up because they're so Or cold. the or it just developed that. Maybe this. Maybe they're using this. Well, this is written later. Possibly, maybe that word was inserted. That word Nephilim. Maybe they were midway through evolution. They still had gills. <laughs> So I want to read this, going back to the this essay. Yeah, yeah um, sorry. We digress. So, he, <laughs> um, so the question of what would we expect from worldwide deluge, we should start by considering exactly what is written in Genesis about the hydrology of the flood. The source of flood water includes all the springs of the great deep and the floodgates of the heavens. Rainfall continues for the first 40 of the 150 days when water prevailed, surged over the earth. Water recedes over the next 150 days after a wind passes over the earth and the springs of the deep and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed. It took an additional 70 days for the land to dry. We can estimate how fast the water rose to cover Mount Ararat, which stands 16,854 feet above sea level. Over 150 days, over 150 days, water would have to rise an average rate of about 112 feet per day and the water would have to recede over 150 days at about the same rate. So what can we say about the ph phenomena described in the narrative? We have observed that the narrative reflects an ancient cosmology of subterranean waters beneath a flat earth and water suspended above the firmament that could be released by opening the gates of heaven. Springs issuing abundant groundwater are common across Mesopotamia and surrounding highlands, owing to the limestone bedrock with complex systems of subterranean fractures these springs feed the tributaries of the euphrates and tigris rivers and are known to swell during seasonal floods however a worldwide deluge would require water to flow from the ground and fall from the sky worldwide there's nothing we know about present earth systems that could explain so much water from rain or groundwater in such short amount of time so flood geologists argue that the pre-flood earth was very different from what we observe today and now we 
we're not able to apply modern geologic concepts and go, by going beyond any ancient Near East understanding of the text. So, I mean, even there is a an admittance that science doesn't help us understand it, but that doesn't mean that, you know, God didn't rain down lots and lots of water. You know, it's not just, yeah, it's more about what, what do our scientific tools tell us? And, uh, and, and so he's just, he's just, I don't think he, like, we don't want to read too much into what he's doing. I think he's just saying, here we go. <laughs> this is what, this is what we can observe <laughs> Here we go. Yeah, but I mean, but I, I like what he's. I don't know about it's you. Really helpful here. This, this idea of there's just times in the spring that in in Mesopotamia and kind of that region where there's lots of water that that the ground the like ground can't kind of soak thing? it up. Do you like that when scientists do that? Like, say how it could have happened another way. Like I don't I don't know. It doesn't do anything for me. It's like well, yeah, that could have happened. Or God. Like, yeah, you know I mean? and, like, and I don't like, like science. That. I don't know why. Yeah, I know because, because likewise, then, likewise, because then you can say like God of the well, gaps. I know, but then you can likewise say something like, "Oh, yeah, but the Nile River sometimes turns red with algae and flows red. Therefore, the Nile turns red once every fifty years, or hundred and fifty, or two hundred years, it will flow red, and that's what happened when Moses struck it." You know what I'm saying? Like you can explain away everything. And then, oh yeah, then of course there was lots of frogs fleeing the Nile because they mm. weren't there. That's why there mm-hmm. were frogs and mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. the frogs, of course, boils came from them because or anthrax or whatever. And like, it, you mean keep explaining away everything. It's like science can, can always make it happen. However it wants to happen. Right. But mm-hmm. it's just kind of, mm-hmm. or, you know, the sun stopped in the sky. That's just a solar eclipse. But, I, but, but, and he's not a, he's a, not trying to explain anything no, away but i'm just i'm just, just saying, saying I, that I think it's good what he's admitting is that our scientific tools what we've been able to observe in history as scientists we can't make sense of this but that doesn't yes, mean I oh think, that's god yeah. that's god then because that then you know everything that we can't explain then means that it's god but i'm okay god with that. god is present in everything so yeah i can't explain it uh, no yeah yeah you're right he's he's not advocating for the necessity of scientific evidence for um a regional flood i guess but he's just giving the facts this is what happens sometimes this is what happens so because it's a lot of water it always it always yeah it always drives me the wrong way when when yeah, yeah, I know. Facts on how I a, agree with you. How a miracle could have came about, mm-hmm, because I mm-hmm. think it just takes away from the miracle. Not that it does, because yeah. who knows? Maybe God did just use the natural, you know, layout of the land to make it regional flood. Maybe that is how it worked. I don't know, but it's just I don't. Know. I think it it can downplay the miraculousness of the miracle. Right. Guess what I'm getting at. As I was thinking about Mount Ararat, it's very interesting that the Ark came to rest on the mountain of Ararat because it's commonly believed that the Garden of Eden was a mountain. And then we see the 40 days, the seven days. These are numbers uh, that speak of perfection, uh, completion, 
God rested on the seventh day. So there's definitely these overtones of new creation because it's, you know, in Genesis, it says the spirit hovered over the water, brought order out of the, out of the water. And now we see that again. So, and by saying that I'm not discounting the historical uh, validity of this, but uh, I find the, I mean, it's hard to make sense of thing, uh, theological significance without the historical uh, foundation, the, the historical echoes. Right. Might, that might be a bit of an enlightenment thinking, but anyways, that's, that's okay. really interesting to think about. Person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we should wrap it up here because now that Zoom doesn't allow us to go past yeah, 40 minutes, we're almost done this meeting. So someone thank wants you. to pay for us to have an account, <laughs> that'd be great. Yeah, sponsor the Pondercast. Just with just with an account for uh well, I won't say the platform we're on. Yeah, because we'll have free to, publicity. We'll have to figure out how we're gonna interview some folks in the future with there's a, if there's an awkward cut in the mid conversation that is why just where everyone knows <laughs> we didn't splice it good enough but that's all we have for today unless you have any other thoughts perry nope gun to your head worldwide or regional <laughs> looks like we're out of time thanks everybody for joining us this week <laughs> until next week keep pondering <laughs>